Welcome to the Canacast podcast, where we ask the interesting questions and provide some blunt answers on all things cannabis. We've got a big announcement at the end of this episode, so stick around. Today we're lighting up and looking at the difference between indicas and sativas, and why cannabis consumers are living a lie. All of this and more, so grind it, roll it, and light up. Welcome to the Canacast. On last week's episode, we talked a little about sativas and indicas. This week, we're going to turn what we learned on its head and plant some dynamite beneath the cannabis cannon. Conventional wisdom among many cannabis producers and consumers is that pot can be easily divided between sativas and indicas. Sativas give you a buzzy, uplifted, energetic, and creative feeling, and indicas slow you way down, are good for pain treatment and put you to sleep. It's an easy distinction. Thanksgivings have been a little tense since the election? Sativa. Someone took your parking spot at work? Indica. A simple black or white that makes sense on two different levels, but don't when you look at where those two levels are conflicting. What consumers and producers won't tell you is that this perceived difference in plants was established in the 1700s by fluke and that the difference has caused us to misunderstand how we classify and consume cannabis. The reason I say perceived difference, as we're going to dive into, is that the differences may only extend so far. In the 1700s, Jean-Baptiste Lamarck proposed that there was a larger cannabis strain, cannabis sativa, and that there also existed a separate sub-branch of cannabis, cannabis indica. While this may have been a passing observation and of little importance to Lamarck, it's become the cornerstone for how we understand the fundamental differences between cannabis strains. Now, before we go further, Jean-Baptiste Lamarck also thought a giraffe started out with a neck the size of a horse and then grew until it could reach the leaves at the top of trees. His idea was that an evolution could be made by a parent organism and then passed down to its offspring directly. Or so goes Lamarckian evolution. This theory was very quickly debunked almost immediately after by Darwin. Let's remember that this is the guy that we can thank for a large part of the sativa-indica debate. Now, there are differences between indicas and sativas, just not the differences we're accustomed to being told. One of the reasons for the difference in the debate between sativas and indicas is that they grow very differently and look very differently from each other. Sativa growing long and tall with thin finger leaves and lighter buds. Indicas that are shorter, bushier, with dense, sticky buds dangling from thick, stubby fingers. Sativas also do better in sunnier, warmer climates, while indicas feel more at home at higher elevations, cooler climes and can tolerate more rugged conditions. You'll also usually get more bud from an indica than a sativa on average as well. Yet, despite these differences, some speculate that these physiological changes don't actually change the chemical composition of the plants. 
in effect, they don't change your high. The most common distinction that people try to draw between sativas and indicas is that indicas induce more of a body high, relax you more, give pain relief, and are good for anxiety, while sativas are good for a mind high, giving you energy, adding to your creative flow, and are better to use during the day. The problem is that based on this definition, these different types of plants should have effects that follow, at least generally. Except, they don't. Not even close. On the website of a prominent cannabis company, it states that the differentiation they make between a sativa and an indica is the presence of a terpene called myrcene. Now, terpenes are what give cannabis its distinctive smell and what also impact the taste and appearance of your buds. There are many terpenes, among which myrcene is one. Below 0.5% myrcene is a sativa and above 0.5% myrcene is an indica, according to this company's website. Whether this is actually an accurate measure is up for debate, since many sativas feature myrcene as the most dominant terpene, and yet are very much not indicas. In fact, there is very little difference between the levels of myrcene from indicas to sativas to hybrids. They all fall within almost exactly the same range of myrcene content as each other. Many people have been pointing to various terpenes as the new distinction of the month, but in all honesty, the research just doesn't point in a clear direction, if any, for a major chemical distinguisher between indicas and sativas. This is a distinction being made, though, by this company, leading to the problem of what exactly is an indica and what is a sativa. The thing about distinguishing sativa and indica is that there are marked physiological differences between the two. One is tall, one is short. One has thick leaves, one has thin leaves. One can survive in harsher conditions. One grows better in warmer and richer climes. This distinction makes sense to a certain extent. What doesn't make sense is the distinction in effects between the two. Although we talked about the perceived distinction between effects, that perception is increasingly breaking up. Although the physical differences may matter to how they're grown, what the plants look like, and how we define them scientifically, in terms of effects, the difference may well be imagined. Chemically and characteristically, not only are sativas and indicas very similar in terms of cannabis chemical content, but the effects are not limited to one or the other. You can find a sativa these days that will get you stuck to a couch like nothing else. And you can also find an indica that will give you the creative drive to paint the Sistine Chapel. If that's the case, that you can't really rely on the distinction, and regardless of if there even is one, the focus has to be on individual strains rather than trying to hem in large sections of cannabis under one umbrella. Right now, the cannabis industry has had such a sudden influx of businesses and groups, there's very little conformity in certain terms. As more people try to move into the space and differentiate themselves, it's only going to get worse. One of the best things to come out of the next few years, I'm really hoping, is going to be the development of some sort of scorecard so cannabis products, especially buds, could be matched up against each other with consistency and clarity. If every cannabis producer is using a different metric to label a strain, 
consumers will be pretty confused, and rightfully so. When I walk into a burger joint, I sort of expect at least a patty and a bun as the baseline for what the burger is going to be. Now, just like with your favorite strains, you walk into your favorite burger place, McDonald's, Jack in the Box, whatever. But at the very least, you know that you're going to be getting a burger. The problem right now is that sometimes if you order an Indica burger, you may be getting a Sativa sandwich instead. Regardless of whether or not the effect evolves from one group or the other, what are the guidelines that allow us to determine which is which? Indicas, sativas, and hybrids are the only three categories that exist at the moment as larger groupings of cannabis, but how should we be classifying cannabis? Most people have never heard of, let alone even have any interaction with, cannabis ruderalis. Short, scrubby, and not very useful, this third branch of cannabis is virtually unknown among most cannabis connoisseurs. The plant has been mostly confined to southern Russia and the severe cold of the Caucasus for much of history, and wasn't really considered useful or was as sought after as sativas or indicas. Ruderalis not only grows as a skinnier, stragglier, and all-around less full plant, but lacks the same concentrations of THC other cannabis plants have, but still retains large proportions of CBD. Now, many scientists consider this its own species, but some still question whether or not it's simply a subspecies of cannabis sativa, even as some in the past have argued that indicas are a subspecies of sativa. Although people don't grow ruderalis recreationally very much, it does present us with certain unique opportunities when we combine it with cannabis strains containing much more generous portions of THC. Ruderalis has been used to spawn the current wave of autoflowering cannabis plants that make it easier for users at home to grow their own. Ruderalis changes with time rather than by photosynthetic cycle, like most cannabis plants do. What this means is that the plant transitions from vegetative to flowering on its own, regardless of its light exposure. Whereas with most cannabis plants, sun or grow light exposure is a major factor in when it transitions. By crossbreeding ruderalis with regular pot plants, you get sticky, THC-rich buds while simplifying the growing process. It does come at a cost for now, though, with autoflowers doling out smaller and sparser buds, but you can sometimes get multiple harvests in a season if you go through the right periods of light deprivation. Crossing ruderalis also helps increase the levels of CBD in the plant. The larger question we should consider is this. Are these hybrid strains one type of cannabis? The question of what exactly cannabis is makes us ask the second question, why do we care? So my pot is a little one way or the other. As long as it's legal, who really cares? The reason that we should care about these critical distinctions that we draw on pot is because it could have major ramifications for how or even if we're able to consume it. A 1975 California court case, People v. Van Alstyne, brought up the differences that were assumed at the time between indicas and sativas. Van Alstyne was on trial for selling pot and rested his defense on a first for the court. 
Van Alstine said that the cannabis he had was cannabis indica, and that the law deliberately stated cannabis sativa. Therefore, he was not in violation of California state law and shouldn't be charged at all. This case allowed a man that would normally have been jailed for owning cannabis to get off because he said that the law addressed cannabis sativa instead of cannabis indica, which he owned. A difference that may be non-existent for a smoker, but one that may be critical for a scientist or a lawyer or a business person. As cannabis use is normalized and legalized across the United States, there are some difficult technical questions we're going to have to come together on. The miscommunication of what exactly cannabis can be is just another reason that pot should be legalized. Until some governing body lays down hard and fast rules on how we're going to define what cannabis is, either through the federal government or through an industry standard, we're going to continue to have legal and financial mix-ups, costing time, money, and energy to resolve, when we can head it off at the pass by implementing a concrete system of categorization early. At the end of the day, what matters more than the minutia of differences that people will pick over and sort through over the next few decades is that we all have access to and understand the effects of the specific cannabis strains that we're consuming, that the effects we're looking for appear in the pot that we smoke, eat, and in any other way consume, and that we have easy and simple ways to find those effects that provide relief for painful symptoms. If there's no meaningful difference between what we consider indicas and sativas, medical users especially, as well as regular users, need to understand that it is the specific strain that will give you your desired effects. You can't just pick one from one category or the other and hope for the best. Even if you are looking for the characteristics of a stereotypical indica, you can't pick any indica from the chalkboard list behind the counter. Even if you want a creative release, you can't just grab whatever sativa happens to be available. Cannabis has variable effects from strain to strain, and to try and lump cannabis into only two or even three groups means that there are going to be misunderstandings and misapplications. Cannabis should be analyzed at a smaller level by strain, and not by group. This is also why good bud tenders are so important. People behind the counter of cannabis dispensaries need to be able to match a customer to the desired effects. Cannabis is infinitely complex, and one person may want the continuing high of a passion fruit and the creative boost, but they may not want the energetic go-go-go. Someone may want the relaxing stupor of a Gorilla Glue, but they may not want the euphoria. People should educate themselves somewhat before they come into the dispensary, but it's the job of the bud tender and the dispensary to provide the correct match to the customer, just like a good bartender would to the right drink or a good tobacconist to the right cigar. When it comes to cannabis, though, it's way more important since some people rely on the correct connection to the right strain with their life. With cannabis, it's never just the plant either. It's the plant and the person and their mental state and their diet and their health and a million other factors. People are going to have bad experiences with pot. That's inevitable. What needs to happen then is that people learn how to convert their bad experiences with pot 
into learning experiences for the future. Proportions are also wildly out of whack currently. How much pot will give you how much effect is totally up in the air, since every person will have a different relationship to pot. Even though we all smoke the same joint, and so all smoke the same pot, we may get wildly different effects, and what got me stoned like a gravel road may only be enough for you to get a light buzz. This leads us into a different conversation about land races, hybrids, and what exactly goes into a strain, but that's for another time. What's important is that strains are as unique as the people who smoke them, and while we're going to need a uniform way of describing what pot we want and the severity of the effects that we want, each individual is going to have to find their own relationship to weed. Just like some people prefer vodka to tequila or stout to lager, people will have to find their own strains that work for them by trial and error, by safely exploring what is in the market and what people are producing. Thanks for stopping by and lighting up with us and thinking about the differences in cannabis. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast on the Sativa versus Indica debate, and I hope you let us know what your thoughts are in this discussion. Comment on this video if you're watching on YouTube. Tweet at us if you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other services we post on. And continue the conversation there. Before we go, though, an announcement that I've been promising. The Canacast is going to be in Detroit August 17th to 18th for the High Times Cannabis Cup. I'm so excited for it. I am super psyched to see what's going to be going on. Of course, all of the terrific cannabis that's going to be there and that's going to be available to try. It's going to have some of the best growers and strains available. It's going to be an amazing time, and I want you to come along with me. I'm excited to see how it is, so look out for an episode in September where we're going to be reviewing the High Times Cannabis Cup and what exactly you can look forward to if you decide to visit yourself. I'm super psyched to see what's up, and I can't wait to tell you what happens. If you want to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode, we're on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Patreon. We really appreciate it. Link in the description. And as always, let us know what you thought of the episode and of the show. Comment here, send us an email, or tweet us at the Canna Podcast. Keep it tuned here this and every Friday for the latest in cannabis. Thank you for listening with us here at the beginning. And remember to check out other cannabis podcasts. There are tons out there, and some of them have really great information. The more we all educate ourselves and the more we all learn, the more we all prosper. And remember, there's no can't in cannabis.